How's everyone? Great. <laughs> Good to hear. So, question? Questions? Yes. Uh, last year in your Chaitanya Charitamrita series, you gave an example to, uh, you were emphasizing how we should practice so that we get, get an experience, because that's un- undebatable. Um, you gave the example of how even uh, Lord Brahma's experience is so different from ours, because his, his consciousness is on the inside and his body on the outside, while ours is the other way around, and I did not understand the example. <laughs> I don't remember the example uh, entirely, but Brahma's and the celestial uh, entities are complex, and there's various descriptions of of Brahma. I think I described them as kind of inside out or something, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's relative to to what it was the example of. Uh, but you you talked about it because you said if, if we practice good enough, then we will have a spiritual experience, and uh, and then we will be unshakable. And, and, you were, and to emphasize it, you, you, you said how even Lord Brahma, which is not, that's not, not a spirit, spiritual experience that he has, but even that is so different, just like it was out of our you know, reference, because we, we see everything through our very limited. Well, yeah, I think I just wanted to say that um, it's basically the idea of relative worlds from the perspective, the vantage point of our materially um, influenced or conditioned life. Um, and perhaps another example might be, um, you know, an, an ant or an insect's experience of the world. And then, then trying to understand, hearing about us humans, you can only talk about it in ant language, if you will, and try to describe it in that way. And so that they're going to naturally... Um, put that think about it in light of that framework which doesn't really do justice to the uh, vantage point of Brahma and so forth and it's kind of impossible to, to understand in, 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 in a sense um, and so our lives are somewhat similar um, in terms of our experience and that of the, the celestials, if you will. And so, uh, you know, we, we talk about them in human language and relative to human experience and so forth. And then when there are problems with the description, because they don't quite fit the human um, perspective, then it becomes problematic. But the problem is really because we're only talking about it in a language that can give us some handle on it, but that's not the complete description of it. Just like I was hearing the other day, somebody was saying that um, that uh, what if Chandravali Gopi, who's one of the principal gopis, but depicted in the leelas of the Goswamis as the principal competitor of, of Radha. Hmm. So uh, she's described as being a certain way and so forth. And um, and somebody was saying, well, you know, doesn't she ever just like get up t- tight for being, you know, second place? And 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 started, you know, positing all the human 
possibilities and how a human might react and so on and so forth. And, and it, just, it, it just doesn't play out. I mean, she is a certain, what's being described is a certain aspect of Radha personified. And, and that night started to sound limited even to us. It's only a certain aspect of Radha, not a whole person. You know, I can do all these things. I could be angry, I could be submissive, I could be dominant also. You know, if she can only be limited. But this, uh, again, we're just positing uh, or placing human um, uh, experience on something that we're trying to describe in human language and in relation to human experience to give us some semblance of a of a sense of what that's like, get a handle on it, something like that. But you can't take the, that as the whole be-all and end-all, or the, otherwise then you start to think about it, and then there become problems, and it's not working. And how Brahma, how, you know, how can Brahma can have four heads? How does it work, you know? How does it work? I mean, <laughs> you know, something like that, you know, uh, 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 those kind of the complaints and so forth. So, um, but, yeah, Brahma's kind of... Uh, what I said, they're kind of kind of inside out. Hmm. Um, at least sometimes he's been described like that in some some places. So um, it uh, it's, um, it's the descriptions are there to help us get out of our frame of reference. Unfortunately, they're they're friendly, user friendly, by way of putting them within the frame of reference to some extent. But then we try to trap them that inside the human frame of reference and we don't take advantage of what they're trying to do, which is take us beyond it and its, its limitations and so forth. Hmm? Does that help? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the idea. So, relative worlds, in a sense. And and that's all based on the perception that we have, given the, the, uh, the vehicle, if you will, the instrument of body-mind. Hmm. And so, yeah, to, that's why I say, you know, that's why I was saying this morning, to go beyond the body-mind and be superhuman, rise above human passions and the whole, the possibilities. That, that, is, that is mission impossible, but it is possible to attain it. And then you're in a land where there's impossible, doesn't exist, it only exists in a conditioned uh, jiva's dictionary if you will. Hmm. What else? Yes? Um, in the Bhagavad Gita, it's explained, um, Arjun asks the question, how is it that uh, letting entities fall down and Krishna explains it's lust and by lust only. So I was wondering how lust exactly, because it's also explained in the Bhagavad Gita how sense objects are lesser than the senses, mind mind is higher than the senses, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. So I was wondering how lust has the ability to, I mean, really like reach that point where it, it affects something spiritual, because I mean, lust is a material thing, so how does it affect something that's higher than itself? Well, I think the answer to that, lust is an aspect of material conditioning. Hmm. Greed, anger, lust, illusion, and so forth. And so, the, really, the question you're asking is how can a material energy, which is inferior, you have to look at it in the bigger picture, have the uh, ability to affect something that's superior to it? 
Now, when you say, when you just isolate the material energy or influence as lust, then it be, your question seems to become more plausible. When you make lust, uh, describe it as an aspect of the entirety of material nature, it starts to become more plausible how the entirety of material nature could overwhelm the jiva, even though the jiva is superior by nature because it's it's small in size, something like that. I mean, these are just words too. So lust compared to the, the jiva, but then the whole material energy compared to the jiva, it's more plausible that, that, that it could have an influence. So the idea is something like, to give an example, you have, let's say you have a fire, hmm? and then you have sparks emanating from the fire. So the sparks do not have the power to illumine the night like the fire does. Still, they're light. They don't get put out necessarily. Of course, they will, so the analogy fails at a certain point. But um, when the spark is passing through the night, having emanated from the fire, it's not really... It's still a unit of light, but it's not capable of dispelling the darkness like the fire. You you could sit and read around the fire, perhaps, but not by the spark. Hmm? So, in that sense, the spark's capacity to, to, to illumine, so forth, is limited. Hmm? And in the face of the entirety of the darkness, if you will, of the, of the night, then, um, um, it, its uh, limited capacity stands out more than anything else. So the jiva never really becomes affected. Hmm? But it's it, but it, but it's it's in a position where, well, I it can't illumine the entirety of the darkness, and so it's relatively, if you will, in, in darkness itself. Again, the analogy only plays out so far. Hmm? So, meanwhile, this, the fire it can it can dissipate the the uh, the night, and um, so to, so uh, and and. It can warm, and we can cook with it, and so forth. So, similarly, the the Swarup Shakti of Krishna and Krishna, they're not they're not, the Swarup Shakti. Let's say compared to the Jiva Shakti, it, it can illumine the night, and it can also overwhelm Krishna. So the Jiva can't even illuminate the night. We speak of overwhelm Krishna, but if it connects with the with the light of the fire, then then the 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 vastness of the darkness of the night of material energy, its task will not be to illuminate it, which is impossible, even though it's a unit of illumination. It can't illuminate the night. Hmm? Does that help? And so, well, and so in the, in, then as they say, that it, it, the, the, the entirety of the material nature includes influences like lust, greed, and, and so on and so forth. Once, once the the illumined spark, if you will, the luminous spark of the jivas on its own in the dark of the night, then uh, it can encounter so many things um, um, separate, if you will, in a, in a sense from the from the fire, and um, and so there. Our identification with matter—it's—it's it's kind of like I've given an example before. Well, another use another example of virtual reality. You're really not—you're really not experiencing 
getting your head cut off or something, or I don't know what happens in computer games that, that are virtual reality. I guess they're virtual realities, right? You extend yourself in there, but it doesn't. things that happen in there, they don't happen to you. Hmm? Um, physically, you, know, you get shot, but you don't really die, and you don't really bleed or anything like that, but you're so identified with it. So that's the force of a hunkar. Hmm? So the dark night has influences, and hunkar is one of them. It causes the spark to identify with the night rather than with itself, which it itself is, uh, again, the analogy is breaking down, but it, it animates, the jiva animates the world. So to, to go back to the, to, the, to the virtual reality, the person, the viewer, from reality animates the virtual reality and it puts on a show and then he then he gets enamored by it. Hmm? We turn on uh, the Gita says, "Apareya mitastanyam prakritim vidime param param jiva bhuta mahabaho yaidam daryate jagat yaidam daryate jagat." The jagat, the world, is being animated, sustained by the jiva, by consciousness. Hmm? Um, so, you know, to use a like the quantum perspective, the world is is, is potentialities, and the Jew is making choices between them. So events are event, events are are occurring, and so forth. And the whole show is is fascinating. You're the you're 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 kind of animating it. I mean, it's it's a it's a, it's a it's like a program. Krishna's written the program, which is masterful, and so forth. But then, you know, you've turned it on and turned it on. You become enamored by it identified with it, and it has all types of influences, and so forth. Hmm? So by way of identification, you're... Hmm, it's just like a dream. Hmm? And now you, you make a statement like this, some people will reject, but you mean I'm not really suffering? No, you're really not really suffering. But that's just, you know, what can you say? It's a metaphysical answer. You know, it doesn't all that feel like I am. But let's say, you know, let's say you were dreaming. Hmm? Then I could enter into your dream, hmm? and and then everything in your dream you're experiencing, and so I'm there. I'm sympathetic to you, but I'm there to tell you you're only dreaming. Hmm? You're only dreaming. At some point, you may get it. Oh, I'm only dreaming. You might even wake up and realize in the dream, it's called lucid dreaming, and realize I'm dreaming. Hmm? Now we're, we're getting somewhere. Hmm? And then, and then, and then you can know that these things are happening, but they're not happening to me, hmm? theoretically, and that helps. And eventually, you wake up, something like that. So when I go into your dream and you're suffering, I empathize with you, I cater to your needs, hmm? I try to help you because you're you're suffering. I don't say, but I, but I say in an overarching sense, it's only a dream. It's not really happening to you. Hmm? And so, you know, you, you, I'm helping you, I'm kind to you, so you, you, you trust me, and, and so forth. Something like that. So, hmm. so the suffering is real, but it's not real. Hmm. We treat it like it's real. We teach that it's not. Hmm. Because just to teach that it's not, without any empathy for the suffering of material souls, hmm, that's resulting from their identification, so to speak. Hmm. I mean, they're, they're fully identified with the mind body complex, so you have to almost deal with them as if they are the mind-body complex, but they're not. So, 
they're not really suffering, but we don't stop there and say, you're not really suffering. You know? uh, but but we, 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 we have kindness for jivas and empathy for the condition, but we know it's a dream condition. We try to wake them up. So, um, but the soul never is soiled. The soul is never touched by the lust, by the greed. It's all going on in the hunkar. Hmm? But you're completely identified there. Hmm? And so, yes, the soul is superior to the mind, the intelligence, to the, to the senses and sense objects. Hmm? That's true. But it's, it's not aware of it at the moment. Hmm? It's by way of identification with the hunkar, and then its position has been covered. Just like you take a light and maybe put a box over it or something like that. Hmm? And it thinks this is my existence inside a box. Take it off. There's so much more, but it doesn't know it. Hmm. So, um, lust is seated, of course, the Gita says, in the senses, in the, in the mind, in the intelligence. And it teaches us how to, how to, how to root that out. So, it doesn't say it's seated in the soul. Hmm? So, you should know the enemy. It's seated in the senses, in the mind, in the intelligence. Hmm? So, you, you take the senses and Engage them in relation to sense objects a certain way. Take the intel- lust out of your intelligence. Don't let your intelligence be involved in an unholy alliance with the mind and senses just to facilitate their demands, which is to be an intelligent beast, if you will, but rather to, to when the mind and senses dictate something, the intelligent be the voice that, that's free of lust, it says. That may feel good, but it's not good for you. Neither is it good for somebody else. Hmm? So then you don't do that, even though the urge from the senses and the mind may be there in relation to a sense object. Hmm? So we try to fortify and spiritualize our intellect. That's the whole, that's the lesson of the Bhagavad Gita. Hmm? Spiritualize the intellect. That's why Krishna says, study this carefully as to worship me with your intelligence. Then with fortified and spiritualized intelligence, we proceed... Hmm? And we actually become a human being, as much as human beings are differentiated, as I said the other night, by, by reasoning power. For that to make sense, to have any meaning, they have to reason about something more than just the demands of the senses and, 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 the, uh, and the mind. Otherwise, what's the meaning? That I have intelligence, but I'm only using it for, the, for animal purposes, for being a big beast. How am I distinguished from them? I'm not. I'm just a more dangerous animal. Do you understand? Hmm? So we can uh, address the the intellect. Purif- this is the guide, buddhi. Hmm? Purify the intellect. And then it should uh, spiritualize, it should help to guide us so that we begin to function in relation to the scriptures rather than in relation to the sangskars that we've acquired, which cause us to just act in ways that, 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 that may not be in our interest. Hmm? So, fortified, spiritualized buddhi. Hmm? Buddhi is the beginning. Determination. Then hmm. ahankar. So then buddhi gets compromised by ahankar. So we have to correct that. So this is the Gita is for this. Probably used to call it civilization of, of the spiritual intellect. And the Bhagavatam, civilization of the soul proper. Mm-hmm.
So you have to be a spiritually intelligent person to to enter into that uh, that world. That's why I refer to it as as the land of wise love. You follow? So, yeah. Um, and and of course, you, you, the soul, are being addressed to root out the lust in the senses, in the mind, and the intellect. So, who's being addressed? You. So, you, but you're identified with that. I mean, it's obvious you're identified with your mind, your intellect, and your senses. So, you root the lust out. The body becomes a sadhakadeha. Then, even your identification with them isn't a, isn't a problem. Does that help? Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so in our conditioned, materially conditioned situation, then um, then there are things that will affect us more adversely than others, so to speak. Make our conditioning worse. Take it into the, the, the influence of Rajaguna and Tamaguna. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about taking it to... Uh, Making, making the condition a sattvic conditioning rather than a tamasic, rajasic conditioning. Hmm? So really talking about the conditioning influence itself hmm? and tweaking it, adjusting it, hmm? minimizing it. Because in sattva, then one can have a clear vision hmm? that there's a difference between myself and the body and so what to do. Hmm? The more you go down under the influence of the modes, the more it becomes uh, um, the distinction between consciousness and matter becomes blurred. So in a way we're talking about, as I say, adjusting the conditioned condition itself. There's a, you tend to think of it as, well, I'm changing my soul. But we're actually changing the conditioning. You understand? Altering the picture of the conditioning. So the conditioning is less such and then the self can um, take precedence in the picture I don't know like you know he's coming closer to the fire or something like that use that that analogy what else Uh, in Chaitanya's when he says that one should think of oneself as less as a blade of grass. Mm. Is he speaking of Vaidhi almost like temporarily repressing your conditioning, your false ego, so that you can purify yourself? Or is he speaking of like someone who's internalized that of thinking of himself lower than well, it's not about vaidhi bhakti or raganuga bhakti, uh, both in vaidhi bhakti or raganuga bhakti, you want to be humble. But actually, the standard of humility is, is very extraordinary in, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And sometimes the, uh, the luminary that we point to in this regard is Krishna's Kaviraj, who made statements like, I'm, I'm lower than a worm in the stool, such is my condition. Whoever chants my name, whoever hears my name will, will, um, Will uh, will acquire impiety. Whoever chants my name uh, will commit impious acts, or something like that. Um, so it's and, and he feels like this. So yeah, uh, Rupa Sanatana, the, the story of their humility in 
Um, Chaitanya Charitamrita is very humbling just to hear. It's very extraordinary. Um, I had, uh, there was a young fellow who took sannyas and uh, he was, uh, uh, I told the story before, but he's uh, African-American and we were in South India. And the day that he took sannyas, some of the, um, the one of the acharyas from the, I think it was the Ramanuja Sampradaya was in a nearby village. So lots of Ramanuja people lived in that area, or Mudbas, I forget what it was, so they wanted to come, they were going to go to see him. So we were going to send a representative. So I was with my godbrother, Nishinamarja's ashram. So we sent these two young sannyasis. And so before the, and one man went, he said, what should I, what should I, how should I, what should I do there? How should I conduct myself? And I said, well, when you see him, just think that you have just seen, you're standing in front of a man from Vaikuntha. And so he went to the program, and all these people were there, and the Acharya came, and everybody's, you know, looking at him and hoping he'll look at them, you know, and give them some blessing and so forth. And so this young sannyasi comes, he sees him, and he just lays out on the floor, you know, like Dandavat, you know, pranams, like this, and he's... It's a fairly big guy, and he's he's African American, so he stood out and got his you know saffron robe on, and there he was, not trying to, you know, put himself in the center, but actually thinking, I'm from Vrindavan, this is my ideal, and a person from Vaikuntha has come, you know, we, not like, oh, I'm from Vrindavan, who are these Vaikuntha people, you know, that's not the standard of the Vrindavan people, they don't think like that. Hmm? And so there he did it. And then, then the Acharya's whole attention went to him. And everybody's attention went to him. Hmm? Came up and he asked him something and so forth. So without trying to get his attention, but just trying to show respect, he had no interest in getting his attention. And he got all the attention. So, um, so the Godias are, are, are humble. If Narada Muni should come to Vrindavan... They don't say, oh, it's only this guy Narg, somebody Bhakti, so you know, they all pay respect to the sage and and so on. Hmm. Um, but the humility is a big thing in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and there are different stages of it. And the ultimate issue, um, Sanatana Goswami describes humility as synonymous with Prem. Hmm? Fosters Prem, Prem fosters humility, and so forth. Um, but uh, the different kind of degrees of it or ways in which it, it manifests. There in Shikshastakam, the third verse that you're speaking about, Mahaprabhu was giving a standard of decorum for his devotees and their Ragmarg devotees. It's his, it's his lineage is, is teaching the Ragmarg. So um, he's teaching the standard of Vrindavan, if you will. I give you this example. And so they, they, they may be, it's the highest ideal but it manifests in the humblest uh, mood. Because why? Because they feel such a blessing they've gotten. Hmm? They don't think, I've worked my way here, I'm great, just see. That's not how you get there. Hmm? And Mahaprabhu is showing that. that, this, that they're, they're, they're in the sadhya, in the perfection and prem, they're, they're full of humility. And the way to get there includes that. So Mahaprabhu says, when you chant with this attitude, then you can quickly attain prem. Hmm? So you have to come to that. I kind of refer to it as an interim kind of goal. Hmm. Um, but it's the standard, as I say, of the, of the ideal. 
as well, and it's it, and and it's it's um, just a you know if you contemplate a little bit the good fortune and, it, and all rag bhakti comes only by grace. Hmm? It's the only way you can you can enter into that. Um, so understood properly, again, it's not like you're proud of everything you've done to to get here. I've given an example before that if you're in a forest and you fall in a dry well, how will you get out? Right? You have to call for help. And somebody throws you a rope and they tell you to grab the rope and you pull them up. When you get to the top, you say, boy, I held that rope really good, didn't I? Now, of course, you don't say that. You think, you saved me. You know, so there's some effort. You have to hold the rope, but it's insignificant in your mind in comparison to the to the fact uh, that someone has come and extended the rope and, and pulled you up and so forth. Hmm? So the, the wealth of attainment so outweighs any effort, although effort must be there. Hmm? But it seems uh, that our effort is to get grace, to position ourselves to get grace somehow or other, and that requires some humility, obviously. Hmm? Um, you know, humble person is like a, like a bucket that doesn't have any holes in it. You think, if I pour it, some teaching in here, it'll, it'll stay in here. Hmm. Not if someone's proud and just hearing to get some information, you know, and that won't go into his heart. Hmm. So, um, so I think that in, in, as we, the stage there is, Nishta is being talked about, as we come close to realizing, getting some glimpse into the, the, to the, to the fact that we're approaching the infinite, we start to feel how finite we are. So that's a kind of a one way of just talking about it. And then if we talk about the nature of the infinite, hmm? infinite affection, hmm? infinite grace and so forth, then I'm humbled by that. Hmm? Not just the magnitude of the infinite, but the nature of the infinite, infinite, infinite kindness. Hmm? And so that I'm here only by kindness. How, then I feel, then I'm, that's why the Godias are good for outreach, because they feel I've got some gift, and it doesn't even really—I don't deserve it. I should share it. That's very natural. So it's a—it's a real—it's really a really a philosophical reality that's being talked about there. That the practitioner has come to the point of—he's actually making some progress and seeing that's. It's it's by grace it's happening to me, hmm? and is humbled by that, and then that fosters more grace and so forth. Hmm? And uh, so you know we we live here among the trees and well not too much grass right now but but uh, we should be reminded of this this verse readily hmm? tolerance of the tree the the. Uh, the humility of the grass and so forth. Hmm. There's a saying in Bengal that I wanted to heard about the Radha Prem and I wanted to become a Gaudiya Vaishnava. Then I heard that verse of Chaitanya. That's impossible. Hmm. Well, you have to put those two things together: be humble, be tolerant, give honor to others, expect no honor for yourself. Hmm. But I think I've explained it there as if we explain it in relation as it should be to the stage of Nishta, it, it, it's coming. As a result of some some progress, and this nishta means there's it's not like black and white. Now it's nishta. Now there's some overlapping and so forth. 
intermediate devotion is really about the 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 conscientious approach to bhakti that, that involves invoking uh, your discriminating power, hmm? the characteristic of uh, intermediate bhakti is discrimination. So, going about it with your intelligence, I'm going to do, I'm going to get good association. I'm going to avoid bad association. Hmm? I'm going to rise at, at the right time, and this and so forth. So. This compared to like, yes, I'm a devotee, but then you're not using your intellect to make that uh, that kind of discrimination to make to make progress. So, so in in, in that sense, this for someone who's serious about making progress and living a sadhaka's life, this verse will be very pertinent. Hmm. Even though he may not have attained officially, so to speak, the stage of nishta, it uh, it's, it speaks about this. Uh, Using your intelligence and power discrimination to progress, and and uh, and as you do, and so forth, and the humility starts to come naturally. Hmm? Does that help, John? Well, I just have a technical follow-up question to the Because um, I read both that what binds the jiva to matter is uh, the gunas, and also her karma. So are they inseparable? Or? The real binding is the ahankar, but uh, you know, then within that, the gunas, which are compared to ropes, and uh, and uh, and I guess you could say karma comes in in different different uh, flavors relative to the the mode of nature that you're under the influence of. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there's some different ways to talk about the, the binding. It's not that the gunas are synonymous with karma. Mm-hmm. The gunas are the, are the particular influences of material nature that, have, that are, affect the psych, psychic and, and physical dimension of our material existence. And according to the influence of the gunas, then we're going to act in certain ways. Hmm. Of course, action is the action itself, then. Is, is, action means karma. Hmm. And then there's reactions. So it's, they're, they're tied together, so to speak, but they're, the, the, the gunas are the karma. But guna karma vibhagasa, hmm. according to guna and karma. Hmm. And then and it all begins with the identification. So the whole self is this whole false self. It's this whole made-up self that's doing all this. It's just a picture that you've created, <laughs> and you're gazing at it and don't realize you're you're looking at it and giving it life and so forth. And it's it's problematic. So to unplug from that is uh, is the trick. What else? Yes. In the previous class, <clears throat> we were talking about the sages of Tandakaranya mm-hmm. and how they uh, were chanting a Gopal mantra mm-hmm. and then received the benediction from Ram to receive a Gopadeha and to Krishna Lila. Gopi. Gopi as a Gopi. And so I was wondering how that falls in place with Radha Yuga Bhakti or how. Or Vaidhi Bhakti, and is that like their 
their goal is that they're set. That was their ideal. Yeah, they're practicing Raghunuga Bhakti, Gopal Mantra. Their, their ideal was, was Gopi Bhav, yeah, Kamanuga Bhakti. So chanting that mantra in, in their association gave them their ideal and it was part of Raghunuga Bhakti. Yeah, 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 they're an example of Raghunuga Bhakti. But again, it's slightly different than what, in terms of Kamanuga, the special gift of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Not only that, the speciality of the gift, but also the, 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 the measure of the dispensation and the systematic dispensation that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has involved in. So you can find some sages, Dandakaranya, some personified Upanishads. You can find Jaidev or um, Chandidas, bards, minstrels, who are singing and writing poems. And they, what they're talking about what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was about prior to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but they're not teaching it in a systematic way and distributing it hmm, everywhere and so forth. That's that that is one difference, and then the other difference is the quantity quality difference of a particular type of Kamanuga Bhakti, for example, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is is uh, sampradaya is giving. Follow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know they're 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 from a the, the, the examples of the Dandakaranya Rishis or the Upanishads are from different yugas. Yeah. Hmm? And they were sitting there for yugas. And Ram happened to come along <laughs> in the Treta Yuga. And they had been meditating in, like, in their bones or something like that, you know, for the idea for, for thousands of years, something like so. It's, it's a, the rarity hmm, mm-hmm. is to be emphasized. And then you take the rarity and then the measure of generosity with which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is distributing and then you have something to hit for the headlines. Hmm? So you have to put all those things together to understand the, you know, the, the, the gift that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is going to Who would find their way to you know, what personified upon it? There's a lot of Upanishads and so forth. And, you know, which ones to follow and... I mean, there's no history of who their gurus are. I mean, obviously, they, they, you know, the, the Upanishad, the personified Upanishads, I mean, what's being said there? It's, it's basically saying that these Upanishads are teaching about this. Gopal Tapani is teaching about Rag Bhakti. Yeah. Hmm. It's basically what it's saying. Hmm. The Dandakaranya sages, well, I mean, we don't know anything about the Dandakaranya sages, except there were some sages in Dandakaranya. <laughs> they were chanting the Gopal Mantra, and Ram came by. And, and so somehow they were there for a long, long time. <laughs> what else? Yes. Could we think of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's message being so widespread, almost in like reference to God's infiniteness? And you said the minstrels are basically said that they're they were saying similar messages, but they just kind of spread it as wide, kind of like how Jesus. I don't know if that's the best way to think about it. These persons, Chandi Das, Jayadev, they were extraordinary sadhus, but they weren't empowered to teach in a systematic way and and so forth. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu comes as the Yuga Avatar just for teaching. And... Um, I mean, because 
your, your idea doesn't play out that well because a very empowered devotee like Rupa Goswami can spread very far and wide. Prabhupada was empowered for a very wide dissemination and so forth. But that's not the case for Jaidi Goswami and, and, and so on. And neither they come as disciples of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu under that influence and so forth. Hmm. That help? Hmm. So yeah, it's a great uh, dispensation. And if you take the such a high thing and you give it out so to anybody, that's real, true magnanimity. If you take a high thing and only give it to highly qualified people, well, that doesn't is not the, an example of the greatest magnanimity. But to give the highest thing to the least qualified people, to anybody and everybody, to give nectar like it's water or something like that, that's very extraordinary. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was doing that in his kind of, it's kind of the madness of, in his madness it's over, overflowing. Hmm. So you take advantage now. He's, 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 uh, he's in a position that, uh, of necessity. Krishna's in a position of necessity as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So that gives us an opportunity to participate in a way that we might not otherwise. Great, 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 great opportunity. So the very madness of his pursuit puts him in a necessity. His devotees are assisting, and others are being involved. What else? Yes. Um, you talked a lot about um, stopping the mind and seeing sort of the beginning of a window. Um, but isn't it true that the mind can't outrun itself and consciousness is inactivated? So, I mean, it's just coming from grace, right? Yeah. Well, we, our way of stopping the mind, if you will, is to, is to stop it from um, doing what it does. The Gita says the mind is the greatest enemy of the jiva and its friend as well. Mm. So... Um, we want to stop it from being our enemy hmm? and train it with practice uh, and detachment to be our friend. Hmm? So that means to think of Krishna. So we want to put bhakti on the mind, so to speak. And so now there is a school of the, the Gandhis, they want to you know, stop the mind and so forth. We don't, we don't recommend that. But... Um, and um, I suppose, you know, they, they theoretically they can be successful. You say that the, the jiva, the consciousness, is, is, is active mm. by nature. This is your argument. That's good. And the mind as well. And the mind, the consciousness is activating the mind. Mm. That's why we think that the, the, the gyan, marg, in pursuit of Brahma Sayuja is not a very good idea, not a very complete idea. Indeed, we we compare it to a spiritual suicide, so we don't. So the active nature of the jiva, if you will, is not being um, realized. It's becoming still. So it's not our. Goal and it's 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 a very 
it's very artificial, it's very um, counterintuitive. It's, and the bhakti is, okay, you're already thinking about things. Think about these things. Hmm? Absorb the mind in this way. Hmm? And consciousness is active by nature, so here's our action, action to uh, all in, in a serving ego. Hmm? So, yes, stopping the mind, stopping it from the direction it's going in. Hmm? And take it in the, in the direction of bhakti. Does that help? What else? What's the time now? Um, it's uh, 25. <clears throat> okay. What? Um, you talked about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's necessity. <coughs> and you also talked about the Guru's necessity to spread the name because he was in one of the years. It can also be um, meditated on as that's our goal, as a like not just a partial goal to become a tongue that pair of ears, but to also like also in the, the lead to be like that. To assist the guru? Yeah. Sure, yeah. yeah. That's the guru Gayatri is about that. That's what it's about. Hmm. That you might enthuse the guru by hmm. Understanding Guru Devaya Vidmay, to understand the Guru Tattva and Krishna Nandaya Dimahi. Meditate on the Ananda of the Jiva means means seva in relation to that Ananda. Hmm. It's internal life. So yeah, that's that's uh, desirable. Yeah. So we want to follow our guru in every way. Externally, internally, inside and out. Hmm. What, are the, what are the courses we take? Yeah. It's called Guru Jati Abhav. Hmm. Guru Jati Abhav. Follow the Bhava of the Guru. Hmm. That's the natural course. There may be exceptions for different reasons because of background and so forth. Those are the exceptions. All right. Sri Gauri Vaishnava Guru Paramparaki Jai Gauri Tinandri